You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to another edition of Under the Shield Presents Fighting Progress. Who's this strange man we have in here, Joel? Man, Tom, hey, we've you, missed you. You let the riffraff uh, in. I was only gone for... Two weeks. Two podcasts. Two podcasts. By next week, well, it'll be six. I was here six. for the one. I was here, but we had so many in here, and I had a migraine. I was like, I'm out. Yeah, but I thought, that actually, was, I was thinking that was three. Nope. Oh, no, it'll be six right. before we're finished. Tom, she had me multitasking. <laughs> I did. I did. Joel I had to talk was, and press buttons. He wow. did. He, he was producing. He was co-hosting. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, he's about don't, to take your job. Don't you ever leave me again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he wanted your job. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. So how are things there, Mr. Hobble, um, retired sergeant? Very good. Okay. Very good. Well, welcome back. We weren't sure if you were ever coming back from San Diego or not, but... Uh, if I could afford it, I might not, but uh, that'll yeah, never happen. No, uh, <laughs> no, I understand that. And Joel, how are you today? I'm doing good. Good. Excited to be back and don't have to do as much talking. I'm going to make you talk anyway. How's that? <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> we should talk about your hat, Becky, brought you from Missouri. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'd like to keep this PG for our audience. So. <laughs> I don't know. You might have to put a picture of it on the... Oh, it'll definitely be up on, on our go. yeah, on our socials. Put it on Mac's head. Let Mac let the <laughs> let the dog wear it. <laughs> anyway, down to uh one chemo left. Hallelujah. Still kicking. And I'll be done and one bad chemo. One bad chemo. Yeah. I ain't worried about the rest of it. Yeah. It's just this taste crap that's <laughs> disgusting. And they're telling me all these things to try and i'm like i've tried it all you just want your biscuits and gravy i do and spaghetti i crave spaghetti really bad too but i'll get there yeah four four or five weeks i'll be back up running at 100 <laughs> percent and driving my oncologist absolutely crazy because i just tell her what i'm gonna do and what i'm not gonna do she just looks at me and says okay whatever <laughs> and then and the nutritionist says eat all the sugar you want absolutely and i'm thinking <laughs> okay I, I can do that until uh, it doesn't taste good anymore. Right. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's all good. It's all good. So you want to tell us about our guest today there? Sure. Our guest today, um, I'm trying to think how long ago we met. We actually met, I think first, no, first time was probably up in Oak Flats at an Easter Could have been. outing. Could have been. So there or San Diego. Yeah. One of the two. Exactly. My my wife. Where did you say you met him? Up in Oak Flats. What is that? That's a outdoor recreation camping place between Superior and Globe. Oh. So every Easter, my fam, my wife's family used to do like a family reunion where they go up for like a week and camp all the way through Easter. And, and Paul and his family come up a couple times during that. And then we ran into each other in San Diego at... Tracy's uncle's house there. and See, Joel, I told you he had a friend. <laughs> yeah. I told you he did. All, all I heard was that they met at Bass Pro Shop <laughs> and it was love at first sight. <laughs> I told you he had a friend. You didn't believe me. You wanted to argue with me, but I told you he did. You didn't believe me. <laughs> well, the truth was 
I'm a friend of his wife's family. Right. Uh, oh, so, so he doesn't so really friend have a friend. A friend, friend, yeah, friend of acquaintance. <laughs> Three times for a minute. Oh, I like what you did there. It is important to set boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we know how you met him. So. All right, so, and he still speaks to you, so apparently you didn't offend him too well, bad at any point. He's difficult on texting. Of course, he was very busy a few months ago, but we, we can talk about that. That's what they all yeah. say. <laughs> so our guest today is retired Colonel Paul Aguirre. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Honored you. Honored to have it. you here, and especially in studio. This is always a lot more fun than over Zoom. Yes. So you've got, you've had quite a military career. Yeah, I uh, initially enlisted in the active duty army after high school. And I'm born and raised here in the right. Phoenix area. So I enlisted in the army shortly after attending Alhambra High School, went to Edison grade school um, in central Phoenix. But then um, I spent a few years there. I joined the immediately transferred to the Arizona Army National Guard. So again, I was enlisted back then. And then I spent about uh, four and a half, almost five years out of the service entirely. Um, and in fact, that's where I met uh, Aaron Kaiser, our mutual friend, and um, did some work with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and some local community nonprofits during that time. And you were on that with Aaron's wife, Yolanda. I right? was. Yes. I was. Yes, well, and I, I think was. it's important to point out to our audience, too, that it's very rare to meet somebody born and raised <laughs> here. Yeah, and it's the fifth largest city in the nation, and and still, I think it's very much people are transplants from some someplace else. I yeah, I, I I don't think I met a real born and raised here for the first five years I lived here of the eleven. I was like, do y'all not have hospitals? Do y'all not give birth out here? What's the deal? No, that, that that is true. That yeah. is true. Um, and well, and the truth is, I missed it. Um, I was involved more in business uh, circles. I had a. Uh, I was a financial planner, had a Series 7 license, and was doing really well there. But I, I missed the military. I missed the, the sense of camaraderie. I missed the sense of purpose. I missed the sense of uh, selfless service, all the things that uh, aren't necessarily reflected in a paycheck, uh, right. however, um, are reflected in, a, in, a, in, a, in what I consider a life well lived. And so um, I got back into the um, Arizona National Guard. I ended up transferring over to the Air National Guard, um, was commissioned, was going to school at night, getting my degree, was commissioned, and um, I just really stayed. It was just, since 1993, I ended up staying in June 93 and full-time, and I didn't. I retired uh, middle of COVID, about the end of September of 2020. <laughs> <Good call. laughs> no retirement ceremony. Now, that's that's good or bad. Now, why did you go from the Army to the Air Force? That's an interesting question. I was working on a joint task force. I have a couple anecdotal stories about this. So uh, I'm going to take you back when I was enlisted in the Army, in the, in the active duty Army, and I did a, a an exercise in Germany called Reforger. And it's out in the, and it's basically preparing for um, the Russian war front, you know, and so we, we staged, we being the United States military stage, uh, just thousands, it's a massive uh, logistical undertaking of equipment, of uh, vehicles, of tanks, of all these different things all throughout Western Europe, principally in Germany. And uh, so this, this exercise with all our NATO partners, we'd go over there and we'd play war games. And so we were over there uh, for a couple months uh, and, you know, you go out in the woods, you set up your, your site and you start the exercises. And, um, 
And when I was there, I remember the first, I think it was 10 days where we went there. There's no shower facility. We're in the army. There's no shower facilities. You're eating. Uh, then we had just um, started this new thing called MREs. Because Before that, it was sea rats. rats. And yeah, the sea rats. I, I, I have those too. So were they the were, same? Are they no. actually no, no, the no. same? Oh, no. okay. The, 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 the MREs are more like the astronaut, you know, the meals Freeze in a dried, pouch. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my Marine loved them. Well, loved them. Past tense. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The sea rats were better because yeah. they came in cans and you could yep. eat them. They tasted like oh. real food anyways. Yeah. I'm not sure that they were actually better for you, but I'm not sure any of those good for you. Right. But um, so we had, you know, 10 straight days of MREs. We're getting used to them because we had the sea rats before. And yep. then... Um, and then your uh, uh, showers consisted of a steel pot before the Kevlar helmet, steel pots uh, in a in a creek, and you yep. put the cold wow. water in there, and you, uh, you, did know, what you brush did. your teeth, you, you bathed, and you shaved. Makes you jealous, doesn't it, <laughs> So the, so like that's fun. that's ten days in, right? And ten days, and then and then we finally got um, um, got access to a field campsite of. Uh, of this logistical setup that turned out to be these big tents with uh, showers, hot water showers in there. And, you know, they have pallets for floor, wood pallets for floors. But to me, it's the greatest thing. You know, it's, it's a five-star spa <laughs> sure. by this time. So we're in it. And, you know, I, I, I showered, I shaved. I was just, you know, I don't know. I was just you were happy. Living, living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. And I remember I went out back and uh, and there's a guy, and I'm Army, and there's a guy, it turns out to be an airman, and about my, my age, he's about 19 years old, and he's out there smoking a cigarette out back. And I asked him, I said, hey, you guys, are you guys responsible for setting this up? He goes, yeah. And we're sitting there talking, changing the story. <laughs> Damn, and, as I, and as I'm talking to him, I'm realizing that he's not happy and I'm yeah. ecstatic. He's like, this is crap. <laughs> and, he, and he was so disappointed that he was in this, you know, place on earth. This, no turn down service. This armpit <laughs> of the world when I thought I was in a five-star resort. And so that always stuck with me. I was thinking like, how could we be so diametrically opposed in our perspective on being in this part in the world at this point in time because I couldn't have been happier. So now you fast forward and I'm on the joint task force. Now about six, seven years later, I'm in this joint task force and this is another true story. Uh, and I don't mean to take this off in this ring, no, but no, go right ahead. So, so I'm, 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 I'm in a, outside of a break room. I think I'm making a copies or something and I'm a joint task force. There's army and, and air guard, but it's mostly army. And so that's the soldiers that I'm used to, not the airmen. And I'm hearing these people having a conversation about their annual training. So, you know, and the, in, in the, the, the National Guard or in the reserves, you have a, you used to do one week in a month and then a couple of weeks oh, of yeah. annual training a year. It's a lot more than that now. And in fact, 50% of the support you had in um, Iraq and Afghanistan were the reserve forces mm -hmm. and the guard made yep. up a big portion of that. But so I'm hearing this story about, um, about being in Florence and about their annual training. And I was just in Florence and the Army National Guard here in Arizona has a huge range out yeah. in Florence, right? Where we do a lot of our qualification with our weapons and just all kinds yeah. of other things you could do out there because there's a lot of land. And so yeah. <laughs> I was just out there, right? And it's, and it's a summertime and, and it's hot and it's not comfortable. And I wasn't happy, but I was out there for 15 or so days. Warm. It wasn't the best vacation of my life. And uh, so I'm back there and I'm listening to them and I'm making copies and I heard Florence, so, you know, it sparks my interest a little bit, my curiosity. So I'm listening and uh, starting to listen about this story about this restaurant that they ate at and they did this and they did that. And I go, what are you like? I didn't, you know, all I saw was where desert. Was like, where, what restaurants, you know, I, and then, you know, we couldn't leave there. And I'm thinking like, what kind of, you know, what was he doing that he could go to a restaurant and it, and it come to find out he's adding all this different things. And I'm thinking, all right. 
military is not much different than fishermen. The tales get more and more exaggerated. I'm going, but this is kind of close to, you just barely did it. This should be like a 10 years from now story where it gets better and better. But but what, come to find out, I, I walked in there, I said, I, you could not be more full of crap. I said, you, I was in Florence. Where were you guys doing and where were you at? It's a big facility, but tell me where you were at. And he was going, and he's looking at me cross-eyed. I'm looking at him cross-eyed. And then he goes, Dude, we were in Florence, Italy. What are you oh. talking about? He was an airman that did his annual training and he had been in Florence, Italy having dinner. And I thought, I might be in the wrong service. Absolutely. <laughs> Time to do better research. I, I might need to be considering this Air Force, this blue uniform that I'm making fun of. Um, and yeah, one thing led to another end of transferring. And that's that, that. That's kind of it. <laughs> you too can go to Florence, Italy. Yeah. Yeah, or talk. Florence, Arizona. Yeah. And nah. that kind of stands true to Army facilities, Air Force facilities. So no and then you got it. the Marines over here who don't have facilities. <laughs> right, they don't have nothing. Yeah. They, well, they maybe have trouble spelling. <laughs> so and eat crayons. I know I've learned all the jokes. My, bro my brother's a Marine. So well, her so son was a Marine. My son too, is yeah. too. And yeah, you, you, just, you gotta love them. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody absolutely. has to. <laughs> so, was that a good decision? It, it was for me. Um, I, you know, I ended up having a great career, a, a blast to have uh, had the opportunity to serve like I did. I, I don't, I, especially in it, the unique nature of the National Guard. I, I think people understand what the National Guard is, but they don't really, the mm -hmm. in-depth. Right. National Guard, basically, in summation for everybody, it's, it's the nation's oldest military. Mm -hmm. It's the militia. It's, it's, you know, the, the people that picked up their muskets and fought against right. the Brits. It's um, also the part uh, constitutionally dictated is the part of our government where the federal government funds the state so that they have their own militia. So each governor is basically the end of the chain. The buck stops with each governor of the 54 states, territories, and the District of Columbia. So there's a standing military in each of those. And it's only Army and Air Force. It's not, um, you know, the Navy and the Marines. It's just right. the Army and the Air Force. Um, but because of the unique nature and the statute under which they fall, so all active duty military fall under what's called Title 10. Mm -hmm. And Title 10, again, constitutionally based, they are not allowed to do things such as police activities. Sure. And that's why we, you know, we will, we hopefully our constitution is written in a way where we won't have a dictator and we won't have the Please. army, you know, take over our, our nation. That's why it's written that way. It's the founding fathers are brilliant that they yes. had wrote that piece of uh, doc, that document that's, that can, that can foresee all of that and do all that so that, that we can have our form of democracy as imperfect as it is. That being said, they did allow for Title 32 for the National Guard to um, to be beholden to each state. And that's why the National Guard can do different things, specifically law enforcement activities. Sure. And like I'm going all the way back to the 70s when they had the copper mines and they had strikes and yeah. they had the rioting. You know, the guard was called out and you hear the, the old phrase call out the National Guard. It's not just uh, for that. It's just law enforcement, which under Title 32 we can and have done, but also – can do things like um, Hurricane Katrina, for example. I was going to say disaster. Yeah. Well, 50, yeah. there was 55,000 National Guardsmen in, in, in Louisiana and the Gulf Coast in Mississippi, which was ravaged, I think, oh, still yeah. wasn't reported. I mean, there was... We flew over that, and there was literally the casino, the houseboat casinos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were a mile away from the original location, like over a freeway. And, and you could see for miles and miles where there wasn't any homes, just foundations. Yep. The, everything had just been blown away. 
Um, and of course, New Orleans had a concentration of, of a population there and they had you know, the levees breaking oh, and then yeah. they were below yeah. sea level. So they had its issues. But the, I'm telling you, Mississippi, you would not believe just looking at it from uh, from above the bird's eye view of the devastation that was there. But the point of the story is that, um, you know, the National Guard had 55,000 people there. And I remember there was a, a three star active duty uh, general, Army general. His name was uh, Lieutenant General Henry. And he, they, I think they call him the Raging Cajun. But he's, <laughs> but he's, right. he's in there and the, and, the, and, the, and the reporters are asking him, you know, who's in charge here? And he said, I am. And he was an active duty guy. Well, he was not in charge of the 55,000 National right. Guard people. The person that was in charge of 55,000 uh, National Guard's men and women was the governor of the state of Louisiana mm -hmm. and the adjutant general that was working for the governor. And um, there was like 3,000 active duty folks, but they were really limited in what they could do. And so you saw them a lot, but the National Guard were actually there. Um, enforcing the curfews and right. things that, because there was, you know, there was yeah. some, there was some uh, root looting and oh, some yeah. stuff like that. And there was the National Guard that was assisting the law enforcement. And um, and then were they also it, doing recovery and relief? All of it. Uh, yeah. And so all it wasn't it. just a law yeah. enforcement. And, and not to be just a uh, shining a light in National Guard, because really, if you ever talk about Katrina, one of the things that sticks with me the most is the efforts, the heroic efforts of the Coast Guard. Yes. The Coast Guard is another, you know, yep. they, they were, getting people off of rooftops in some yes. really dangerous and hairy situations. Yeah. And they just kept going back and going yep. back. And they, that, that would make a story uh, and a movie in and of itself, just what the Coast Guard did right. after Hurricane Katrina. And I'm sure they've, uh, you know, that was just a glimpse of what their world is, but the Coast Guard was, they were very heroic and uh, their, their contributions were, were lasting, that's for sure. And so, you have to take into consideration, we lived in New Orleans. That was our first DEA office. I knew office there was a reason I liked you. <laughs> back in the, in the 80s. And, but you got to take into consideration the wildlife that's there, the snakes, the alligators. The, there, there's so many. And, you know, you're talking about a fishbowl to start off <laughs> yeah, with. Right. You know, below sea that's level. That's what it is, yeah. And, it, you know, what a, what a challenge on a good day. Yeah. It, it could rain and it's a challenge in New Orleans, <laughs> sure. you know, with the old systems. Sure. But... Yeah, what a what a uh, a time to it'd be interesting to get some of those people in here right. to actually talk about the things that they saw and did. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was thinking about under the shield and you you know your mission and how it supports first responders in, in a myriad of different ways, I, I was thinking of its parallel to the National Guard because the National Guard is kind of that unique hybrid military that's mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they can also be considered a first responder, mm -hmm. at least in this country. Are again going back to Title Ten, our active duty military forces are limited in what they can do in this country, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. Right, that's sure. a great thing. Sure. Um, unlike the National Guard, which the governor could say, "Hey, go do this," and go they, do whatever, and, and they yeah. will do that, and in support of the, whatever the communities, the citizenry need at that particular time. And we do work with military. Military is a big part of yeah. of our population, yeah. also all all levels of it, because again. Tom, having been in the military, my son, son-in-law was uh, field artillery and army. And so they're very near and dear to us. As a matter of fact, I've been the stress coach at uh, Luke for the 56 security forces mm. for several years. Yeah. And um, it's a, a group that we are honored to work with and help any way that we can. I worked with law enforcement in, in, in different capacities. So my last role in the military was I was the commander of the of a joint task force called the counter drug task force mm -hmm. for arizona and we have one of the largest ones in the country because of our border so it's our, sure. our geography um which 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 is the basis for us having a large and a comprehensively funded 
uh, counter drug program. So I worked very closely with law enforcement during that time. I was on the executive board of the high intensity drug trafficking agency. Hida. So yeah. Hida. and uh, you know, if you're familiar with Hida, you know that the large major police chiefs are on there, the, sh- the county sheriffs are on there, uh, the DPS. Um, and so I was, I, I was fortunate enough to sit at the table with those folks work very closely with CBP and a lot of border issues mm-hmm. and the joint task forces that we have there. And I also work closely um, with all the different branches of service and anybody has any presence on the border. Um, and so I was, it's, it's the border provides its own unique challenges Absolutely. and responsibilities. <laughs> and so, Boy, does it. Uh, well, you know, I, I was, a, I was a part of that and I was proud to serve alongside the soldiers and airmen from the Arizona National Guard that were members of that. Yeah, you know, I think the public has a real misconception because I did for many, many years because I didn't come up in a military family. And but I think the public has this conception that that the guard just kind of sits around waiting for a crisis to happen. <laughs> right. And if they're they haven't been activated by a state, they're just hanging out somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, in my role now, so I retired a couple of years ago, as I mentioned earlier, uh, September of 2020. And um now I am the executive director of the National Guard Association of Arizona. And what that is, is there's 1,145 commission or warrant officers wow. in the Army and Air National Guard in Arizona. And about 8,000, just shy of 8,000 soldiers and airmen, including the enlisted. So as the executive director of that association, it's a private organization. It's a membership organization. I advocate on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple things. And we support where the state chapter that supports a very large and influential National Guard Association of the United States. Um, so every know, state has their own chapter. Of they this? do. They okay. do. They do. And um, so uh, so in that role, I've got to I've got to do a, a, a little bit different things. One of the things that I do is I go down to the state capitol and I try to get a better benefits or try to mirror what some other states do, because every state, although we have equal uh, federal military benefits, uh, not equal with the active duty, we, we endeavor to get there. But we do have equal across the board our federal benefits, all the 54 states and territories of the National Guard. Each state may provide different breaks. could be tax breaks, whether it's income tax, could be property tax breaks, could be uh, tuition free or reduced tuition to um, you know, the universities or the junior colleges, all these different things. So you have a kind of a hodgepodge, just different uh, levels of state benefits for others. So I endeavor to get the best for Arizona, for my, sure. for my soldiers and my <laughs> airmen. So in that role, I'm down at the state capitol and i was i was talking with a senator down there and uh, who had mentioned that he was in the national guard in his previous life and from his state which wasn't from here like everybody else yeah, right. and, uh, <laughs> and and he had said the same thing that he did he goes you know well when i was in the national guard he goes i'm not so sure we were prepared because he knew about our national guard he had been on some of these boss lifts and some of the other things that we do with our employers so that they were familiar with our mission, our mm-hmm. duty, what their folks basically, because, you know, yeah. two-thirds. Of what three are they qu- doing for two weeks? Two-thirds yeah. or three-quarters of our, or or a year. Right. Uh, They're hanging out in Florence, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> or Arizona with me. Um, you know, and so that they have an idea and so that they know um, how patriotic and selfless the services of their employees, whether yes. they're from the city of Phoenix, the state of Arizona, or any other outlying city or or they police officers or their teachers or they work for a major Fortune 500 company that's here or anything in between plumbers, you know, any kind of trades crafting. So we've got it all. We've got, you sure. know, you, you go on a drill week and the guard is very unique. You go in the drill <laughs> weekend, you might see, you know, uh, an enlisted member, an E5 and 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 um, and working for a captain, you know, uh, so he's saluting that officer. Meanwhile, that enlisted guy owns a multi-million dollar business and the, and the captain's looking for a job. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and that's typical because right. and in the guard. So you have all this 
this various levels of, of, of success out in the private lives, but they just love putting on the uniform, sure. just like I did yeah. when I was out for nearly five years and I missed it. You know, they love putting on the uniform and they get up and nobody's drafted that's in today's right. National Guard. Yeah. They get up early on a Saturday and Sunday, at least, you know, over 30 years, I gave away at least one weekend. And on average, depending on my job, sometimes it's two or more weekends a month, mm -hmm. a month. And, um, you know, that could be a lot for a father or a mother Absolutely. or a single mother, um, you know, and, um, and so that's what these guys do. And, uh, it's a lot different nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, cause the, the time commitment certainly isn't one weekend a month and just, uh, you know, two weeks of annual training every year, it's become much more than that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it's almost a standing joke that, yeah, one week in a month and an 18, no, <laughs> not anymore, you know. Did you see the, I saw it last night and again, memory is gone, but um, there was a, a poll that showed how patriotism in the country has dropped down to some, did you see it, Joe? Something like 28 or 30 percent of Americans care about patriotism or something. Yeah, that, that, I don't remember the figure. I think I feel like the figure low. that I saw was like a third. Yeah. Uh, like actively claim some sort of patriot. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, you know, that's just so hard for me to comprehend. And I, I know part of that's being a mom of a Marine too, but. You know, what do you think, what do you really feel like contributes to that today, other than obviously the woke stuff and those things? But I just don't know how you can be a part of this country, live in this country and not I know. and not have some level of patriotism and it be that low. So, you know, it's interesting how different countries and different you know, cultures perceive that because yeah, uh, you know, I'll talk to when I was in Afghanistan, for example, you know, I worked in a in a kind of, in a NATO um, it's called billet, but the, you know when I deployed over there, that's the role I was in a role of a NATO position, and so I worked very closely with um, a couple dozen other countries and their officers, and uh, and many of which had mandatory service, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for some time or period, a couple right. years or whatever sure. it was for that particular country, and they don't understand how we don't and how it works here, you know, and uh, so <laughs> so I think there's I think that's a it's that that's something for I guess uh, philosophers or whoever to debate <laughs> as to the patriotism thing. But I'll tell you this: my answer to that was always this: whether it was the lack of patriotism or a very controversial subject like burning of the flag. What I've always said is, well, you know, nobody drafted me; I volunteered and I served, so the people can exercise their constitutional rights, mm -hmm. whether sure. it's free speech and whatever that is. Sure. Um, and we don't have a draft, so um, you know people don't have to serve. Mm -hmm. And but that's that's not at the at the tip of my mind or of anybody else that I really served with that wore a uniform. We do it. It's it's a selfless endeavor, and we sign up for it, and that's what we do. And um, probably we all have different intrinsic motivations to do that. Mine was that's what fueled my fire. That's what if that's what allowed me to lay my head down at night and sleep well, you know, was the fact that I like this job. I, I consider it an honor anytime, yeah. you know, besides, and I'm not, you know, the, in all sincerity and all honesty, I, um, you know, being at a Starbucks and being in uniform, it's middle of the day. And maybe I went and saw one of my kids, uh, I don't know, spelling bee contest or a concert or choir recital or whatever. Um, you know, and having my kids and having somebody come up and pay yeah. for my coffee and my mm -hmm. kids have a little sense of pride that their dad's doing something. I had that. So that 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 was certainly something that um, for me added to that. But 
every time somebody said, you know, thank you for your service, I, my re my reply was, I'm honored to serve. And I was, and I yeah. felt fortunate that I was able to serve. I was sure. fortunate that I was able to serve for over 33 years. And yeah, I, I know I could have made a lot more money doing something else, uh, but but that but it obviously wasn't about the money for me, and I don't think it is for most of the people. And I could tell you dozens of stories that sure. that that make that make mine seem infinitely small. Um, compa in comparison, there's a you know in the, in the guard there was a there was a gentleman who worked at the Maricopa County Hospital, you know Maricopa Integrated Health System. Um, a burn specialist. In fact, he's in charge of that wow. unit. And that's where they bring people in that have severe burns and, you know, they're really problematic. Mm. I remember that that fire in that, uh, that daycare center in Hermosillo, south of, you know, in Sonora, mm -hmm. when they had all those kids trapped and they brought some of those problems, the ones that were very critically uh, burned up there to be administered to, to be medically taken care of. But long story short, this guy has both his parents are doctors or MDs. He's in his mid-40s, never served a day in his life. He's seeing the war in Afghanistan and Iraq play out in front of him. And he's yeah. in his mid-40s. He's going like, you know, when these IEDs, which was the front line, there was no front line in Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, every time you left, right. what they called it, <laughs> anytime you left the fence line, you were, you know, you were it. You're driving, you were it. You know, yeah. that's the front line. And um, his thought was, you know, I think I could teach those military doctors how to treat those burns better because a lot of people died of the burn Sure. Wounds, not right. not the explosion necessary. You know, sure, sure there was TBI, mm -hmm. a traumatic brain injury, and yeah, other but all the infection and the yeah. Yeah, I mean, they a lot of people just burned to death. You know, they got trapped in the vehicle and they turned to death, or they suffered severe injuries due to the burning more than anything else. So, what he decided was he was going to see if he could join and do that. Wow. And really, and how old was he at that point? In mid forties. Wow. And what he did is he joined the National Guard. And I was the chief of staff of the one sixty first Air Refueling Wing at the time. And I remember him coming in my thing, and I, coming in my office, and I'm talking to him, and I'm just fascinated by his story. And I'm thinking, where else but in the Guard can <laughs> yeah. something like this happen? Where this guy, you know, he could be world renowned for sure. his expertise with yeah. burn victims, and he joins, and he next thing you know, he's wearing a uniform, and then he deploys. Sure. You know, he doesn't, he wow. has no, I mean, you talk about a guy that doesn't need the money, doesn't right. need yeah. the, he doesn't need the advantage. He truly wants to go over there and teach them how to treat our soldiers and airmen and sailors and Marines and right. make a difference. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen a shift in just how the public perceives military just with, you know, with your years of experience? Have you seen the shift? So this morning, um, I received a, a, an email and it talked about today being uh, uh, Vietnam. Uh, the Vietnam Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't even aware that there was a Vietnam Veterans Day. I wasn't either. Years, I've so. heard. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and what I've said consistently, I've had the opportunity, again, I've been extremely fortunate in my career. I had the opportunity to do, to address a lot of uh, crowds in the public and the community. And, um, and one of the things that I consistently said is I, if you raise your hand, if you're a veteran or stand up, if you're a veteran, I want to recognize them because they they always recognize me and it's, and it's hard to take all that. You know, you want to give it out to your people because sure. your people are the ones that deserve it. And to your point, um, what I would ask is everybody sit down unless you're in a v Vietnam veteran. And I, not to dispute the, the the tag that Tom Brokaw and your has put on the World War II uh, veterans, the sure. world's greatest generation. They, they may very well be that. But I would tell you that in today's today's service members and when i mean today anything post 9 11 mm -hmm. 
we received the benefit of near unanimous support in the communities. I don't care what side of the political aisle you are. They, people come up, they thank you, their kids thank you. Um, and it's all on the backs of soldiers, yep. shoulders of the Vietnam veterans who had the exact opposite mm-hmm. treatment when they came back. And I wa- always took the time. I tried to always take the time out to make sure that they understood that it was not for nothing because right. it took a while and you didn't receive the benefits, but every one of my airmen and every one of my soldiers was receiving that benefit. Yeah. Sure. For every Starbucks cup of coffee, for every sandwich bought when you were at a diner, that was thank a Vietnam veteran because that's the reason we got the, we don't learn history's lessons all the time. You know, right. if you think about, uh, September 12th, 2001, you know, how yep. patriotic everybody was and right. how together we were. Absolutely. There was no partisan there. I didn't, I didn't know a Republican or a Democrat at that nope. time. Everybody was independent. Yeah. We were American. Exactly. And, um, uh, and, and I think because the Vietnam veterans and the way they were treated, our society has learned that they do respect. And I think, um, you know, my personal experience and everything I saw in my over 33 years was an enormous outpouring, especially after nine 11, of unanimous support for anybody in, in, in uniform, our service members. And I think that's why I brought up the poll. I'm not a big poll person anyway. I've never been polled, so they don't know what I think. Somebody ought to ask me Who sometime. is it? Somebody on the couch eating Cheetos, right? <laughs> at 10 a.m.? It's got to be. And I just thought, I just don't know how the numbers can be that low when you it, it doesn't come across that way in the public at all. Right. That people don't feel patriotic. And to me, if you don't feel patriotic... How do you support military? I, I just, I'd love to see the questions in the poll. Part first maybe, of all. maybe it's per in, enlisting numbers. Maybe that's it's decline there. And I think maybe it's politicized too. I think maybe oh, I think maybe if you're one political persuasion again, you know, when you're in the military, you're apolitical. Absolutely. So, and and even in my position now, I I like to remain apolitical because I supporting military members. Sure. So, but I think you know some people would think if you say. You know, that you support the flag or you say that you support military, that maybe you're of this the political right. persuasion versus the other. And so I think it's become politicized. And that, that that to me just not only does it stifle critical thinking, but we can't all yeah, think yeah. the same. I mean, right. that, I mean, yeah. our founding fathers, they used to they used to throw down, <laughs> you know, when they were when they were going down legislation physically <laughs> and otherwise. Yeah. And those guys were brilliant. They all yeah. love their country. Sure. You know, there's room for the different thought processes and uh, we just got to get to a place again where we can actually, you know, agree to disagree and compromise and go forward because that's the way this country was founded. And that's the way we're supposed to. But do you see the numbers dwindling, you know, in law enforcement, nobody wants to be a cop. I I mean, and we all understand why it's a shame. But if, if the poll numbers are that low on the patriotic side of this thing, are you really, you know, we hear that there's not the people enlisting and stuff like there were, but do you really see that big of a drop? Okay. So, um, recruiting and retention has become an issue and all the services just recently within the past couple of years has been even a bigger issues. I think if you were to talk to Pentagon senior leadership and I don't speak for them, but I think if you were to speak to them, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious that that's at the top of their mind. And Mm -hmm. that's a critical, critical, because you got to have scary. Yeah. You got to have people in the pipeline, you know, from the beginning, uh, through there and then and then hopefully keep as many because you don't keep for a career, you know, that sure. the, the percentages are really low that stay for 20 years or more. Um, I think, you know, patriotism displays itself in different ways. So patriotic being for enlistments, to your point, um, I, that's definitely dwindling and for whatever reasons. But I, 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 I don't know that that's necessarily for patriotism. It could be that's part of it, I think. But also, I think it's just this this generation, you know, this generation is different with um, 
longevity at each of their employment stations, hey, jobs. Working, stuff. period. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, get the job. Joel, you need to get a job. <laughs> I think it's I think it's just different. Um, but you know, when you talk about patriotism as it conveys to support of military members, at least face to face and everything that I've been able, able to experience, it's overwhelming. Good. Everybody is. I don't care what side of the aisle you are. You they support people in uniform. They really do. Good. And and speaking to your 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 thing on police officers, I want to say this because I think this is important. I have a lot of friends at law enforcement. I mentioned that I'd work with with several of them. In fact, Tom, you know, one of your one of your academy classmates, yeah. uh, Dennis Doran, is was one of my best friends. And I've known and I I, I when I was retired, I played golf on Mondays with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the in a league that was all police officers. That's nice. that they were all police officers, and so I, you know I have a lot of friends that I, I have a lot of affection for. They're, they're they're close friends, and I know their families well. They're police officers, but before that, I, I I always told my kids as they were growing up, and my daughter Lana is sixteen, my son Jackson seventeen. Anytime we we're at, they would just look at me whenever any police officers in anywhere, whether it was in the coffee shop, anywhere, anywhere in public. They walked up to him. They knew it. They walk up to him. They'd shake their hand. They put their hand, little hands out when they were three and four. And they would say, thank you for protecting us. And the reason I said this was because they saw all the time people telling me that. Thank sure. you for your service. Thank you for protecting us. And I thought, you know, um, yeah, I, I do that. You know, I signed up for that. And I'll go somewhere to help protect this nation and stuff. These guys are out here doing it every, every day, day, every day and going home. Zone. They don't. Yeah. And they're and they're doing it every single day. And police officers specifically, as opposed to firefighters, firefighters come, it's a, you know, they saved you from a bad <laughs> right. day. They love, they everybody saved loves you a from a but, yeah. the, but the police officer is causing, yes. you know, <laughs> uh, and, and that's the perception. It's, it's amazing how bad, you know, police officers. And I think that's why there's a lot of issues with the Absolutely. way the public these police officers. So I had them do that specifically for that because yeah. I wanted them to know that. Hey, you know, just like everybody thanks me, you should be thanking these guys because every day when we get in our car and drive, you know, they're the ones keeping the streets safe. Absolutely. They're the ones at night when we're sleeping, you know, they're still out there and making sure that. And um, um, so I, 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 you know, I find that very unfortunate, never having been a police officer, never having served, but knowing many, many close dear friends, people that are like brothers to me that are police officers. Yeah, that's a that's a bad rap. And I wish I wish there was something we could do to change. Well, that. Tell, tell them up at the Pentagon if they get shorthanded enough. If my son decides to go back in the Marine Corps, they need to deploy the Marine mom with him. Because <laughs> I had this conversation with a colonel in the Army in an airport when my son was deployed. And I told him, you're missing your best resource. You need yeah. to see that mom because yeah, we're bet. not bound by your Geneva Convention and I your bet. rules of engagement. I bet. I bet. <laughs> so I'll volunteer. <clears throat> I can see that. I, I think I heard on one of your previous podcasts, uh, people feeling sorry for cancer versus yeah, you having it. Absolutely. I, 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 That's I, I, it. I can see where they're coming from with that. Tell them I'm their girl. I'm ready. Any age, I'm ready to go. But, you know, like for public support, you know, like I did 10 years military and even back when I was in the military, always. Way yeah, back long when time was ago. in the military. That was like when you were first married. I know. Um, I always got a lot of support and stuff, um, and, and it was good wherever I went. Um, and then, you know, being a police officer for 27 years, at the beginning of my career, I could say there was there was more support. At least yeah. people were more vocal. Right. Sure. But even towards the end where things were getting really bad for my career, um, and, you know, we were having all the riots and oh, stuff, yeah. we still had an overwhelming amount of the population 
that really support in your us. community, it, and right. it is broken down yeah. by community. Yeah, uh, no question. You know, and, and I think even just in Arizona, we're pretty fortunate there, with the exception of one very large city that we happen to surround <laughs> at the moment. But yeah, but it, it's tough there. A, it's tough. It there. is, but there's a there's a lot of people in the community that do support the police. They're not as vocal as and they that's used the problem. To be. Right. They need to be more vocal. Exactly, but I, I can say on that it was it was good. One of the strangest things for me with the National Guard was during the riots and where I remember one night we were we were got sent over to Arizona Mills Mall and we're supposed to protect them all because they were supposedly going to come over there. And then all of a sudden a bunch of National Guard guys come over and they got all their vehicles and stuff. And I remember standing out there at night thinking, I would never in my life thought that I would be <laughs> – Standing here protecting some part of Tempe with the National, National Guard, Guard as my backup. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing to see that. And that's know? who will be there in any situation right. like that. That's really the message for any any of your listeners is uh, if you see that happen, there's an emergency of that stature, it's going to be the National yeah. Guard. It's going to be the governor calling out their guard. And then, of course, you know, when it gets overwhelmed, the National Guard Reserve, when it responds to any federal, any disaster, um, it follows under the FEMA structure. So because of things like Katrina, mm -hmm. uh, you know, FEMA really formalized and improved their response to natural disasters. And the way it works now is that, you know, once the local, whatever the locality is, it could be a city, it could be a tribe, it could be a county, whenever that gets overwhelmed, then it goes up, you know, it goes from city to a county, and then the county has an emergency response. Maricopa County is very advanced in their emergency yeah. response, and they integrate things like Phoenix Fire, which was one of the nation's best when it comes to doing those types of things. And we practice and we do drills and, and we do exercises with all the um, first responders to include police forces mm -hmm. and, and and firefighters and everybody and utilities and everybody else that would sure. be affected by this. And then then when it goes from the county, it goes to the state. And when the state gets overwhelmed, then it's then it's a FEMA, then it's federal assistance. But all those now have been integrated in a way to where they respond the same way. They speak the same language. They have the same uh, hierarchy. They have the same chain of command. They have the same structure as far as the logistics, as far as their communications, as far as they're medical and, and 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 all the rest of the support. It's all the same. So now it's very consistent and took you know some bad lessons. But because Katrina was one of those lessons. That was that was yeah. probably the catalyst. It yes. refined the the too FEMA. many bosses and nobody knew who was in charge <laughs> sure, of what. Sure, yeah. absolutely, and it refined the response to it. So that's what we practice to this day nice. still. And it's a, um, but but yeah, to your point, it's it's National Guard being out there, and we you know we've been doing things like that forever. Yeah. We've been practicing that. Forever. And I would always walk around and talk to all of them that were out there in support of us, and and they were all happy. They're yeah. all like, "You guys have to start it. We can help you finish it. But you right. guys have to start it." That's you right. know? Come on, Tom, start something. But they were. <laughs> They'll yeah, support you. Yeah, yeah they were yeah. more than. Are happy the numbers to be in there. dwindling in the guard like they are in active duty? So, so, uh, so there's a couple things with that. Is Whatever happens in active duty, it's typically happening in the Guard because the Guard is part of the reserve forces. So they have the, the reserves, which still stays Title 10, and then you have the National Guard, which, again, is beholden to the state, to the governor, Title 32. Um, but it usually goes across the board if one, you know, if, 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 if the active duty is having problems, then probably the Guard's having problems. It's a little bit different, but, yeah, they share the recruiting retention um, challenges. You know, going back to your point, though, Tom, so one of the things that I did in my retired life, uh, as short-lived as it was for two and a half years, was <laughs> I, I was Tom doing too. <laughs> I, I, I was doing some consulting and contracting work for a, a company that has a contract with the NFL. So 
for the Super Bowl or international games, I'd go and I'd do transportation support. I was a transportation logistics officer in the Air Force. So I would do that. And I, I'm working this year um, at the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm, I'm at the Phoenician of all places. And I see this guy come out in a uniform. And I go, and I look at his patch. And I know he's part of the Arizona National Guard. And they had the EOD unit out there. They had, you know, they were yeah. out there with their dogs and everything. Nice. So they were supporting the commissioner's event on that Friday night before the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, you know, everywhere you turn around, the right. National Guard's in yeah. there, and they're just such a vital. So part there's of the really community. not anything that they don't have specialties in, for the most part. But yeah, I mean, for big events like the yeah, Super Bowl, and absolutely. Stuff. The Guard has, and this is going back forever when we had the first Super Bowl. I think it was at '96 at Arizona yeah. State, yeah. Pittsburgh, and Dallas. But <laughs> they, uh, the the Guard, when ACTIC and all these different law enforcement mm-hmm. agencies, and so you get all these, you know, federal, all the three letter federal places get yep. get integrated with all the local places, you know, the city police and the county. State and the guard almost always has a part in that in preparation for it and also to be able to respond. And almost any time, almost any time there's something big happening like the presidential visit, anything like that, um, the guard is prepared and they're typically – you know, staying up 24-7. They have people 24-7 in some joint operations center and sure. uh, and ready to respond, you sure. know, ready to respond with whatever they need with people. And, uh, you know, thank goodness the, the response typically isn't needed, mm-hmm. but they're always there. Yeah. So whenever anything big's happening, you know, whether you, whoever you are, wherever you are in this community, your National Guard's typically up, awake, and ready nice. to respond to that. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned the NFL Super Bowl at Arizona State University Stadium back in '96. That you was, were ten PPD. Yeah. I was. Yeah. yeah, I worked that event. That that was crazy to have an NFL at a college university stadium. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a little different this past yeah. year. <laughs> I don't think ASU could have handled that one this year. Uh, no, huh? I, I think we'd, it, yeah. it would have been an issue. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what our second one out there. In the West Valley, yeah, and uh, I, I think third, no third that. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. third one. Yeah. And I, I worked the, I worked two of them out there, um, in support, help doing transports. But and, does the guard, when people see them, do they realize they're the guard, or does it all just kind of blend in and look like it's just a whole lot more law enforcement? The, the answer is typically no, mm-hmm. and that's really a good thing. I agree because yeah. when we're wearing a uniform, a soldier is a soldier, right? They're doing a differentiate between a. A guard or an active duty or reservist. They sure. all go to the same school. They all go to the same basic trainings, all the same advanced individual training, the AITs. They all go to, you know, they, they do all the same training. The only difference is, you know, Private Snuffy here from the Arizona Guard might work for <laughs> Motorola, where Private Snuffy in the active duty army is Private Snuffy in the active duty army. That's the yeah. one job and the only job he's had. Right. You know, uh, uh, Captain Smith is is a pilot in he flies tankers at a Sky Harbor at the 161st Air, Air Refueling Wing, and he also might fly for Southwest, sure. you know, or sure. or be a business owner or whatever. And uh, but the, you know, Captain Smith in the active duty Air Force, he flies. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he's done his whole life. You know, he went to fly, and so it's interesting because the, really with the guard members, we're typically a little older, uh, and may, might typically have experience across other different levels of whatever right. that might be. What's know? the age cutoff? Because you said this doctor uh, was in his 40s. Well, that, that depends on the needs of the service. Because, you know, when you're in two prolonged wars like we were in Iraq mm-hmm. and Afghanistan, 
I know that they were they if you had the medical expertise and you wanted to to go, they would find a way to get you in there because yeah. you know you that's that's hard to find for hospitals. Sure. Let alone <laughs> let sure. alone to put on a uniform and go in harm's way. Right. So I just turned sixty four. So you're telling me there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a we just need to come up with the there's a chance MOS uh, yeah right. military mom. There you go. I'll I'll, I'll take that <laughs> with a gun. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, you know, it really is sad to me that the public doesn't understand more about the importance of the guard and the roles that you play, because I do think they confuse it because of the fact that they can be activated within a state, that that makes it something very different than our military, military. And I, it's sad to me that more people don't know that. So so on behalf of all the recruiters mm-hmm. in the Arizona National Guard, <laughs> I will say this. One of the coolest things, so I'm active duty and I'm I'm at the end of my three-year enlistment. I'm at Fort Hood, Texas, and I'm, I'm going to come back to Arizona, right? And they say, hey, there's the National Guard. You know, you can transfer into that. This, you know, we just sign here and you'll be in a unit there and you can start drilling when you get home. And I'm like, well, Tell me about, I didn't know anything about the National right. Guard. So sure. they, they're telling me this and I'm saying, so I can stay in the army and stay in Arizona. And, and they were like, you absolutely can. And, and and to that point, that's what people can, need to understand is that I think it's a great entryway to do it. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people, for example, will uh, sign up at a community college or ASU or U of A, NAU, anywhere. And and uh, they'll join the National Guard for the educational benefits. So the they'll GI drill Bill on the weekends. Yeah. They'll, they'll drill yeah. on the weekends, and they'll go to school, and they'll help, that helps pay for them. That's part of their part time job. And you know, people like me end up staying on full time. And there are full time positions. Two thirds to three quarters, approximately, are traditional Guard members um, who work someplace else full time. Okay. But then there's a full time force. It's a smaller part. It has to keep things going during the month. It has to keep everything, you know, maintained, the personnel records, the finance, the equipment, all that stuff. So there's opportunities there, too. So, uh, I mean, literally, I thought, you know, when you join the military, you're going to be all over the world. You're going to be yep. away from home yep. and family and things like that. And my family were really close. And I thought, you know, that that's a real hardship. But in the Guard, uh, you don't have to. You sure. can actually be part of your hometown military and respond to, you know, things that— uh, Things that might be more impactful to some people, for example, you know, Vietnam's, for example, you know, some people didn't agree with it, but they got drafted and they went. Well, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, they have their own. You can be on whatever side. But but what what I heard, I remember the first border mission, Operation Jumpstart, Mm -hmm. and it was around 2005 and it was May when President Bush was in his second term. It was the first time he addressed the nation on a domestic issue, you know, outside of 9-11 and everything. It was the first time and he was talking about the, the border crisis. And so that was born the first border mission that we had. Operation Jumpstart was the name of it. And in Operation Jumpstart, Arizona had the top two sectors for, for Customs and Border, uh, then it was Border Patrol, now it's Customs and Border Protection. Right. Um, the Yuma and the Tucson sectors were the two top priority sectors. It's changed since then, but they had the most activity, sure. drug and and, and, and um, illegal uh, immigration. So. That's the top two, one and two. So a majority of that focus for even though there's four border states was here in Arizona, not Texas and California, the two bigger states. It was here, 40 percent. The 60 percent was kind of divided amongst the other ones. And because of that, we had, um, I think it was guard from 51 other states and territories, including some of our neighbors that came here. We had delegations. I don't know. There was probably 30 governors 
approximately, and then federal representative, congressional members from another 30 plus states, because we had all these different National Guard from all these other states coming down here. And what you would routinely hear from them was, you know, I've been in the service 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And this is the most gratifying mission I ever did because I'm protecting my home, yes. you know, as part of yes. Homeland Defense. Yeah. And I'm doing something that I think is making a difference. And, yes. and and this is from all over the country. And we'd hear that. And at the time, I happened to be working in the capacity for then General Radchick, by the way, great. He was the adjutant general for the Arizona National Guard for about 10 years, uh, still a mentor. Me, matter of fact, I'm having lunch with him tomorrow. I'm excited about that. But he... Uh, I remember he was just, he was a 42-year veteran, Vietnam uh, hel uh, helicopter pilot from the Army, right? Years. 42 years. He retired two-star general. He couldn't be more statesman. He was just a great adjunct, great man. And I remember him just telling me, he says, Paul, you know, you just don't see that. It's great to hear because these people were just so like this. I'm mm -hmm. proud of what I'm doing yeah. right now. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fired up right. about this and I want to do, I feel like I'm making a difference. And that's, that was a guard mission. You know? Do we have many on the border right now here in Arizona? Um, well, in different capacities, yes. I don't, many's kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess that's a subjective um, term. We don't have a big push operation right now, um, but we do have in different capacities. I talked about the counter drug task force that mm -hmm. support uh, different types of activities down there. And um, so and they're pretty much there all the time. It's just different numbers, different capacity. Is there ever a time we don't have? The guard down around the border? Well, you know, that's not the guard's principal, you know, mission or right. job. You know, that's customs and border protection. Right? right. And and but we are we are integrated, at least in Arizona, we are integrated with customs and border protection in several different capacities. And we've got, you know, here in Arizona, for example, I don't know how much you might know about this, but in Arizona, they in the in the Tucson sector created just one of the most advanced um aerial operations yes. interoperate and it and i've been in that room many times and basically you go into a room and you can see all the air activities happen across wow. the border you can see the border from you know from from the far west california border to to the far east new mexico border and you know you've got all these different screenshots and they can command and control it like they would like with like you would see in a war zone sure. like you would see out of iraq or you'd see in afghanistan because when i was in afghanistan i was in kandahar you talk about flying operation. We had like 400 different types of airframe there at any given time. And it was anything you could possibly think of, not just American, but unmanned, uh, everything international. Sure. And then even the stuff they didn't let me see. That he wanted to see really bad. And, and I worked for the base commander when I was there. But um, but they have that type of system here in Tucson, our Customs Border Protection. They do a yeoman's effort. You talk yep. about underappreciated. Again, they get, I think they get the worst of both worlds because they've got, you know, they've got that kind of that... Uh, that police or that cop image, you know, and, uh, but they do a great job they and, do. and they're, yeah. and, and they're in these remote posts. I mean, I don't know a lot of Arizonans, like I said, I'm 59 years old and I'm born and raised here, but I don't know too many people from Maho or you know, <laughs> all points down there. And, and I say that, you know, a, a, a little bit jokingly, but it's true that they they go to the most remote spots of our border and they're they down do. there and they live down there or else they a lot of them drive down from the West Valley to drive down there every single day, you know. To yeah, Tom, to Tom and I have been honored to work with Yuma sector and San Diego sector mm -hmm. numerous times with the CVP. And it's that's a group we just have nothing but the utmost respect yeah. for. Same here. Got a hard job. And it, it's it's a shame the public really doesn't understand what all goes on on the border yeah. that, and that yeah. they have to do because it's a tough one. Yeah. Well, before we wrap this yeah. up. If I don't ask you this, my wife will give me a hard I time. I know. I was going to remind so, you. So, 
I need to know, how did you get on Tulsa Kings? Oh, that's funny. That's a good question because, you know, I, I don't watch that show. So I've never um, heard of it until Tracy texted oh, yeah. me, so I don't know what it is. So uh, we were, my family, and I, that's a whole other story, but it's a really <laughs> funny story if you got a minute. So sure, go ahead. The, here's the long story short or long story longer and more monotonous. My brother's um, wife, my brother Isaac and his wife Jen, Jenny is going to, There's she finds out there's a family feud tryout, right? In Phoenix, downtown Phoenix, the Hyatt blah, 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 whatever, her and her aunt and cousins or whoever's going to try out for it. And so she tells Isaac, you're staying home and watching our daughter, Chloe. And Isaac's <laughs> going like, well, what if I want to try out for family? Because <laughs> Isaac's got my mentality, a 12-year-old boy, basically, most of us guys. And he's like, you know, I want to try out for family. And she's you don't even watch the show, Isaac. And he goes, no. So Isaac somehow, you know, ends up calling all of us. He goes, hey, there's a family feud tryout. And we're going, what? The one with like Richard Dawson? Is he still like, We don't know. Yeah, he kisses everybody. Yeah, yeah. None, of, none of us have watched it for 20 years. So. We end up, he ends up getting, you know, there's, there, I've got, there's six of us boys in my family. So he gets five of us to, to go. The only one didn't was out of town. Actually, he lived in Vegas at the time. So we go down there and try out, um, we show up, it's three tryouts. They end up having like, I think they said 5,000 people. So a thousand families, there's five in each team and they end up picking one family. They ended up picking them up. And when we got there- And you're competing against the family yeah, yeah, that you, wanted- You have a test question. Each family has test questions, and the crowd responds, and then the producers pick you know, who might be a- And so they kind of whittled through this thousand families to get whatever. And in Phoenix, it ended up being one family. It just ended up being ours, wow. which was kind of funny. But um, so <laughs> I remember I got there, and, and I'm waiting, and I'm there early because I'm military. And then my brother brothers, I'm there half hour early, and I get to the front of the line because it's a long line at the Hyatt. And then my- Two brothers show up and there's three of us and we get to the front line. And she goes like, where's the other two? And we said like, oh, they'll be here. They'll be, nope, can't sign in until everybody's here. So we go to the end. And of course, two of my brothers come in at the last second. There's 20, <laughs> 20 seconds to go before three and they come in. And then we go there and she goes, okay, what's your name? And we say, we're Geary, you know, we're going through there. And she's looking, she goes, I don't see your name on here. And he goes, on where? He goes, the register. Did you sign up? He goes, oh, I'm supposed to sign up. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> this is my brother Isaac oh, and his pre-planning no. efforts. Anyway, so, so Apparently we, not military. <laughs> we, we talked to her and she says, I'll let you guys in, whatever. And we ended up actually getting selected. The one family is selected at the whole thing. And we didn't register. And, and we were on the show. Um, and I like to say, my brothers say we won three games. The truth of it is, Three other teams lost to us. <laughs> and then we finally got put in our right place by an all-women team who I don't think we scored a point against. So we lost the fourth game. <laughs> you went five games. So anyways, that show was on, you know, and it, so we were on um, four shows in 2010. <laughs> and and that's it. You know, it played and we went on there. They actually contacted us after that and said, hey, you know, we want to bring back some families that had some whatever, however they measure likability. And they, they, they threatened to bring us back on again, but never did. And then next thing you know, a, a couple months ago, I started getting these texts. Hey, <laughs> do you know you're on Tulsa King? I go, what's Tulsa King? <laughs> and then they would say, Sylvester Stallone has a show. It's on Paramount and it's Tulsa King and this, that, the other thing. I said, you know, that guy's been riding my coattails for years now. <laughs> I had no idea. So yeah, it's pretty funny because uh, Stallone's standing there and he's pointing to a TV. He's not looking at it, but he's pointing to it. And so there's a TV behind him. And you see Paul's is, happy face And it's the Family Feud episode yeah. 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 on there. Out of all the Family Feud episodes, they picked ours. It's which like I a think close-up of just Paul. Yeah. So, so <laughs> when he, he's fun. talking to some guy because that's the only episode. Actually, I didn't even see the whole episode. I saw that part of it. But he's talking to a guy in a hospital. He's kind of shaking him down for whatever. And he, he's a mob guy, I think. Yeah. Got, 
exile to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Who yeah. watched well, his went, family he, feud. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the best part about it, here's the best part about it. So he says, he's talking to this guy and he goes, and because he turned off the TV, walks in, the guy's watching Family Feud and it shows Isaac, my brother Isaac, actually, um, me and him on there. And then he turns it off and he talks to this guy, he shakes him down and he turns it back on. He looks up at the screen, it's just my face. They're showing me in there. And then he says, that's a rerun. And, and then he walks out the thing. And I thought, Sylvester Stallone knows our episode. That's cool. <laughs> I thought that was great. You should call him a friend. I think that That's makes right. him a friend. Yeah, I should. I should. I was thinking That's royalties. Yeah, awesome. there you I, go. yeah, he owes you money. Yeah. I'm sure I'll, I'll swear to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's funny. That's that's where that came. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know it was there until I, I must have got 100 texts. You know, yeah. That's yeah. funny. I know I saw it on Facebook. I'm like, uh, only Paul. That's funny. <laughs> wow. Well, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy day to be here. It's really an honor. And I want to thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. I'm honored to serve. And I I, I want to say this before I leave. Uh, You know, what you guys are doing here, especially with the approach to mental health and all the mental health challenges, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, General Radchick, who I mentioned earlier, who was the adjunct general for the Arizona National Guard for about 10 years. I I, I was his public affairs officer, and we used to, we greeted a lot of returning um, units coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan. And unfortunately, you know, at least five or six of those occasions, we came back and they they didn't come back full. They had yeah. lost a soldier or two. Right. And um, one of the things that uh, we talked about and I heard him discuss all the time was, you know, you're you're my hero for going out there and serving your country and serving the state of Arizona as proudly as you did. But you really want to be my hero. You come back and you get yourself integrated in some kind of therapy. You integrate your spouse or your significant other. You integrate your kids. Because you can't be in a condition. The human condition is not made to where you could be getting bombed at in Kandahar, Afghanistan, come back here and and start your— Just flip the switch. And flip the switch and be back there. You can't. Mm -hmm. And and going back to my story about the police officers being at the point end of the sword on a day-to-day basis every day in our community, I I can't imagine—or even the firefighters, I can't imagine— you know, responding to a scene and seeing devastation to a child and having to go home and have dinner with my super, super cute. Well, she's 16 now, so she's pretty now. (laughs) I wouldn't call her cute anymore. She was five. She was the cutest, smartest, you know, most gregarious. uh, And seeing my daughter, you know, after I saw somebody her same age, you know, come to a demise and do that. And so uh, you talk about a debt of gratitude being owed. It's to the police officers and, and, and the firefighters and those people that are out there every day in, day out. So I really appreciate your mission statement, what you Thank guys you. do and how you approach mental health. Um, um, you know, we've had a lot of mental health challenges within my family and it's, it's a, it's a tough gig and I want to normalize that as much as yep. possible. So everybody understands mm-hmm. that, Hey, you know, I, and by the way, I go to therapy once a week Good. and have been for years. I meditate twice a day. I do Good. just about anything and everything I can to balance it out. Life's hard enough as it is. Yes. Um, and I, so I, I applaud you guys. I cheer you guys on. I hope you guys uh, you. Uh, continued success in Thank your endeavors, you. especially when it comes to helping our first responders and and their mental health challenges. Sure. I, I, well, we've Absolutely. lost way too many of them because of uh, stigmatism, right. t- you know, stigma tied to seeking help with that. We don't need to lose anymore. And thank you for even in your retirement, you jump back in and you're still fighting to take care of your people. Love my soldiers, love That's my airmen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, always will. Yeah. 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 And so thank you for doing that as well. So. Tom, you want to wrap us up here? Let's we'll see if he remembers the number after being on vacation uh, now for yeah. about six weeks. Yeah, well, I can cheat. <laughs> <laughs> see, a long time ago, when Susan wasn't here one time, Joel and Becky decided to 
Help giving me out cheat sheets. Do a whiteboard and, you know. Because so. he doesn't remember things. Yeah. It's the mad cow disease or something. Yeah. <laughs> mad cow and TBI next. But <laughs> you don't remember, so it doesn't right. really count. <laughs> um, no, but, I, yeah, thank you, Paul, for coming today. Um, very interesting in yes. your career and, and what you've done. And, and great job for staying involved and, and supporting our National Guard people. Yes. Um, and I guess what I want to say is to all of our first responders, police, fire, and our military, Absolutely. and our family members um, that are supporting all those people, um, if you see changes in your loved one, uh, or if you're the first responder or the military, and you're going through tough times, the hardest thing is picking up the phone. Absolutely. That's the, that's the tough thing. Once you pick it up, it gets easier after that. Yes. Uh, you can call us. And I'm going to cheat just because I'll probably screw it up. Here right? we so go. Yeah. It's 855-889-2348. That's our toll-free number, 24-7. Uh, you can call us anytime. Families, you can call us just the same. Absolutely. Um, a word of warning. If you call that number, we do not have your number. We have that same number that shows up on our phone. Yep. So it is totally and anonymous. Then, yeah, the anonymity is a very important part. And we're not, I had somebody tell me this week that I've known for years <laughs> that we were a referral source and I almost yeah. lost my mind. We are not a referral source. We can refer to other things if needed. 99% of the time, it's not necessary. Right. So don't see us as a clearinghouse. We're going to help you and your loved one deal with whatever's going on. Exactly. And when you call that number, it may take us a while to answer the phone. If you hit extension one. Right. Because it goes around, rolls through available stress coaches. So the first available stress coach will answer that phone call. Yes. You can hit extension two for Susan, mm -hmm. uh, extension three for David Cohen in Alabama, mm -hmm. and I'm extension four. You can get me directly that way, too. And David's also military as well, retired in fire so right. and law enforcement. So uh, we've and, got it all covered. Right. We'll get you with... A stress coach that has similar background as you. Yes. Um, it's just much easier to work with that way. Absolutely. And if you want to reach me directly on my cell phone number is 480-861-6574. I wondered if he needed the cheat sheet for that. <laughs> I was looking, waiting to see if it was on the board. <laughs> what if you're low on cash? Can you use that cell phone number? <laughs> Absolutely. And my cell number is area code 334-324. 3570. Uh, text during the day. If I'm in session or teaching or whatever, I'm always checking my text messages. At night, always call. Again, that's a 24-7 number. Um, don't worry about us keeping notes, records. And I got chemo brain plus dementia, <laughs> according to my child, so I won't remember anyway. But uh, reach out to us. And if you have any questions, there's nothing we don't deal with. It's a lifestyle. Military, first responders, everything is about interconnection to everything right. else and um, so don't hesitate to reach out to us because that's what we're here for so as we wrap this up we'll have a new episode next week um, and we hope that you'll be back to visit us again again paul thank you so much for taking the oh, time out and uh, for all of you out there families especially thank you for the sacrifices that you make the things that you give up to support your military and your your uh, first responders we understand that here it's a huge sacrifice you're serving just as much as they are and a lot of times the only reason they can serve exactly. is because you're at home taking care of things god bless you god bless your families in this great nation that we live in and we hope you'll come back and listen in next week
Thank you very much.